Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. want to apologize for the uh, audio quality. I forgot to bring home my headset this weekend. Aaron, two, uh, two, minus two big ones for me hmm. on that. But we're going to keep the podcast short and passionate uh, unlike today's top 25 rankings, Aaron, which were long and passionate, the, yes. meet, the meeting was uh, got a little heated. And we're just going to start off right at the top, Aaron. I think our top 25 rankings uh, at the end of the regular season in college baseball for all but uh, a handful of conferences, uh, everyone else is in conference tournaments. But you got teams like all the SEC, ACC teams, Big 12 teams have all played 56 games, Aaron. And after 56 games, I think it's fair to say that we think the team that Old Haas Old Haas Radburn would like the best, the team with the most grit, is our number one team, and that is the South Carolina Gamecocks, which is uh, a meet the new boss, same as the old boss from last year. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, they're uh, you know all year long. I, I feel like they've been knocking on the door of being the number one team. I mean, they 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 won those two series against number one teams, uh, Florida and Vanderbilt, and. Um, for various reasons, they just couldn't quite get to that number one spot. But um, you know, I think they're a very worthy number one team. You know, they they are talented. They've got a lot of talent. Um, I love their bullpen. Uh, you know, and and to me, that was the strength of their team last year. The national championship run was fueled by the bullpen, and and it's it's intact. You know, it's just as good as it was. Their their starting pitching has has held up nicely. I mean, Forrest Kumis and Colby Holmes both pitched very well this weekend, uh, which is an encouraging sign. And and you know they're and they're tough, like you said. They've got the grit. Uh, that's that's why they are where they are. They've uh, they've won a lot of series. They've won all every series but once year, and uh, and they won on the road this weekend. And, and but against Alabama, they need to do in order to to win the SEC outright or not outright, but to be the number one seed. Uh, and uh, here they are, number one. Yeah, it's it's been an, I think an incredible ride for South Carolina, and like you said, their bullpen uh, is still their bullpen. Their coaching staff is still their coaching staff, and offensively, they have weathered. They just have weathered so many injuries this year. Is there what's the prognosis? You're headed to, to Birmingham for the S, for to Hoover for the SEC tournament. Are we going to see Jackie Bradley Jr. there? Is there any chance that he comes back late this season for that team? I know he wants to come back maybe for the postseason run. I don't think he's going to be back this weekend. Uh, I haven't heard any updates on his status. I, I, I still wouldn't expect him to be back, but I know that he's trying his hardest to come back, and everyone says he's a fast healer, so we'll, we'll see. We shall see. And then, Aaron, uh, the after that, Texas number two. I think we need to talk about the Longhorns a little bit. This is a team that just uh, – they they don't have – they really haven't had very many flashy weeks all year. Hard to say that when they're 40 and 13. This just seemed like the most under-the-radar number two after 56 games team that I can remember. I mean, Texas just does not uh, – it just don't seem like we've talked about them that much this year, and they haven't had that big signature, oh, Texas just swept so-and-so, you know? Yeah. But but here they are, Big 12 regular season champions, and with a pitching staff, I would not want to face in a dark alley. No, 
<laughs> You're right, especially if Taylor Taylor Youngman's leading the way. I mean, uh, that 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 guy, uh, that's the guy you want behind you in a bar fight. You know, I I, I always say he's he, he'd be my pick if I needed to win one game tomorrow in college baseball. He's the guy I want. Uh, and you know, he he didn't have his best outing on uh, on Thursday against A&M and, and John Stilson, but you look up and at the end of the day, he still throws a complete game, I believe, and and uh, allows two runs. So um, he just the guy just wins. He's he's as good as they come. He's Al and Davis's favorite college baseball player. It's uh, just win, baby. It's ridiculous. Uh, and 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 unlike Al, he doesn't look like a monster doing it. Um, <laughs> but then we we really had some contention at the next, uh, really throughout the rest of the rankings. Aaron, um, Virginia swept by North Carolina. I think that was the whole source of the contention when you really think about it. What do we do with the Cavaliers? What do we do with North Carolina? Uh, I actually wrote about it in Three Strikes, special guest appearance by John Manuel in Three Strikes today. What did we? What did you think of what we did with Virginia? Was it too harsh to move the Cavaliers down to five? And you know, my the my first iteration of the top twenty-five, I had North Carolina all the way up to eight, which obviously was too high, and nobody agreed with, uh, and not even me, because I wound up saying, wait a minute, they shouldn't be ahead of Georgia Tech. But uh, how do we different? What do we make of the ACC, where Virginia winds up tying for the ACC regular season championship with Georgia Tech? Are Danny Hall and Mike Fox two of our finalists for National Coach of the Year, or what? Just unbelievable coaching jobs. It seems like by those two guys uh, getting twenty-two and twenty conference wins out of those two rosters. You're right. It, it's it's really amazing, and you know. I think North Carolina is particularly amazing because, I, as you wrote in Three Strikes and put it very well, this is not a vintage North Carolina team from the last five years. I mean, it's uh, it's just a it's a little bit like South Carolina. They're just gritty, um, you know, and and they find a way to win. I mean, the fact that they're 44 and 12 to me is pretty stunning, given given the way their roster is constructed. It's not an imposing lineup. It's not an imposing pitching staff. It's it's not, you know, it's it's a it's a good lineup and it's a good pitching staff, but um, they don't scare you and they they just they just win games and you know the reason that they're not higher in the rankings is because they have had hiccups, you know, they they've they've lost four series this year. You can't get around the fact that they were swept by NC State and that they lost the series to Wake Forest. Uh, you can't, you know, the fact that they they melted down on Saturday at Georgia Tech and lost that series. Um, you know, they they would be a lot higher in the rankings, I think, if they had won that series. Um, but uh, instead, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to move them ahead of Georgia Tech, which has a really good resume. And you talk about a, again a great coaching job by Danny Hall with a really young roster, especially of, of everyday players. I mean, they've got some experience in the pitching staff, but um, both those teams very impressive. You're right, no no question about it. And, and Virginia, yeah, it's harsh to move them down to number five. You know, they've they've been so consistent this whole year, but they got swept. They only scored three runs in three games. Um, you know, Florida and Vanderbilt haven't gotten swept. And if it comes down to it, I, I I think Florida and Vanderbilt are better teams than Virginia. I think Virginia's a great team. I think they're, you know, they're a worthy top five team. Um, but uh, in a head-to-head series, I like those other two teams a little bit more. Agree completely. That's why Florida is three and Vanderbilt is four and Virginia is five. I think uh, on resume, you can make a lot of cases why Vanderbilt should be ahead of, of, of Florida. But the bottom line is the Gators went to Nashville and beat the Commodores and the other Commodores I think have a great record and great talent and you know did what they had to do this weekend after Michael Palazone threw a complete game against them on Thursday night that guy deserves some kudos by the way Michael Palazone for the big year he's had for Georgia he's really carried a great weight for that team Um, 
anyway, and his stuff and his stuff isn't as electric maybe as, as it was certainly when he showed it is up not. there. Yeah. I mean, you know, when he came when he showed up at Georgia out of high school, he was a, a power armed guy that, you know, we thought was gonna be an elite draft prospect and, and I watched that game on Thursday and, and it was it was really a, a mid to high eighties fastball and that's him. Uh, but, he, you know, he locates it so much better than they used to. That's the big thing. His fastball command's gotten a lot better. He pitches to contact. Yeah, he's 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 one of the most improved players in the country. I agree. I think the, deserve, the guy deserves a lot of kudos. So, But Vanderbilt went on the road and did what it needed to do. Florida won its series with Kentucky. You're headed to this SEC tournament, Aaron, and there are storylines galore. Two of the biggest ones involving teams that are not at Birmingham with our uh, Hoover, with LSU and Ole Miss being left out. We'll talk stock report, I'm sure, this week. You'll write up the stock report. But let's face it, Aaron, the SEC, a team that we were talking about being a potential 10-bid league, there's no way that's happening, is there? Is there no, any way the, the SEC is a 10-bid league this year? No, because I think even if Georgia and Auburn do enough this week uh, to finish above 500, and in Georgia's case, that means they have to win at least three games in Hoover, and in Auburn's case, that means they have to win at least one game. Uh, if those things happen... I think LSU would get in as the ninth team, and I think Ole Miss would be left out. Now, I think Ole Miss's best chance to get a bid uh, would be if one or both of those other two teams don't finish above 500, and then maybe LSU and Ole Miss could get bids without either being in Hoover, which is amazing, but I think that could happen. I think you could have eight bids uh, from the SEC with uh, with Ole Miss and LSU being the other two. But I, I suspect the league will wind up with eight regardless, um, unless, again, unless Georgia – and, and Auburn both win, in which case I think LSU would be the ninth. But I think more likely is they wind up with eight. I agree. I think that's the most likely scenario. Um, Ole Miss certainly did not help itself uh, this weekend by losing that series to Arkansas. Ole Miss's resume basically is they won a series at South Carolina. And, hey, did we mention we're in the Southeastern Conference? You know, so uh, but the 10th best SE, 10th best RPI in the SEC. Uh, that's your Ole Miss Rebels. And, I'm not saying they underachieved, but they're an older and more physical club. I'm just surprised that Ole Miss hasn't done better with the bats, as physical as they are. Everyone you talk to says that's a big, strong team of donkeys. Um, but it and hasn't they, worked out that way. And they thought they were going to be good. You know, they they come into the year they had high expectations. They thought they were you know a borderline top 25 team. I think they thought they were a top 25 team, um, but uh, it certainly has not played out that way. They've not been very consistent, and um, you know. In any, in any phase of the game, really, they, they've they've just been up and down. So uh, they're on the bubble, and and you know it's possible that uh, um, if if just one of those teams, Georgia or Auburn, finishes above 500, maybe Ole Miss gets in as the ninth team. That's possible too. It depends on what happens with the other bubble teams. I mean, it is a soft bubble. You know, there's there's a lot of teams that we thought were kind of on the periphery that, that took a step back this weekend. I think what happened in the A-Sun, for instance, probably helps Ole Miss, uh, where you had Jacksonville and East Tennessee State both losing their last weekend series. Um, Jacksonville's right there on the bubble. I mean, this RPI is in that same range, and uh, it's, not in, it's not in the SEC, you know, and it finished four games behind Stetson. Um, you know, I, I think you look around the country – Texas State, another team that took a step back. Let's say they yep. don't get the automatic bid in the Southland. They're not going to get an at-large, I don't think. So I think Ole Miss has a better case than them. Uh, I think if you if you look at Ole Miss compared to a lot of the other bubble teams, they still have a better resume. Like even better than East Tennessee State? I mean, East Tennessee State went on the road, won a series at NC State. They got they went like, with a 4-3 and three against ACC teams or something like that. I mean, the, the difference is they, they're fifth in the, South, in, the, in the Atlantic Sun Conference. But you've mentioned several times on, on the stock report – 
that they don't seem like they care about conference finish. So if they don't care about the 10th place team in the SEC, then what do they care if it's the 5th place team in the uh, in the Atlantic Sun if they have a good RPI? Yeah. it's it's It'll be interesting to see if the, the committee takes that same approach to the mid-majors because we know that it, it does with the major conferences. It doesn't really matter where you finish in your conference that much um, if you're in if you're in the Big 12 or the, or the SEC. Right. But, uh, but I don't know if there's much of a precedent for, for a fifth-place team in, in a conference like the A-Sun getting a, an at-large bid. Well, that we'll said, they're nine, they're nine spots ahead of Ole Miss in the RPI. So yeah. if it doesn't – so if conference ranking – you just hit on the – you hit on the argument that we're going to catch them in when they give the SEC 10 bids because that's what they're going to – now you're laying it out. You're like – you're frightening me. <laughs> it's going to be a 10-bid league and – uh it's possible, but I, I still wouldn't bet on that. I sure uh, – and this isn't because it's the SEC. I just sure hope not. I just don't think finishing 10th place in your league deserves to be rewarded. I'm not even sure that finishing in 5th place in your league deserves to be rewarded. I kind of hope East Tennessee State does something in the Atlantic Sun Conference Tournament. But that, that league's, I think, a little bit better than people think, uh, at least this year. So yeah. just my opinion, but I, I could be wrong. Uh, my, my sense is – uh, East Tennessee State did itself no favors by finishing fifth in that conference, no matter what their RPI is. I think you make great points. Uh, the bottom line is, Aaron, you got to get to 64. Ain't going to be easy. That's and, right. It and, really, it really is not. And and you know, it, I think one thing that could help uh, help us get to 64 teams is if, if teams like, let's say Creighton or or UConn, let's say they don't win their automatic bids. Those are teams that I think would be solid at large candidates. Um, certainly, Fresno State. TCU, um, those teams are probably – TCU is obviously a lock. I think Fresno, even after getting swept by Bakersfield, would probably be an at-large team uh, if it doesn't get the automatic bid. Um, so, you know, it, it happens every year. There's there's teams – there's favorites that don't win their conference tournaments and eat up at-large spots. So that, that that's probably what, what will happen and, and get us to 64. You mentioned it, Aaron. Uh, Cal State Bakersfield sweeps Fresno State. Uh, Dallas Baptist sitting there at 45. Here's two independent teams – we had basically a long, long time, probably 20 years, where the only independent teams that got at-large bids were Miami, early in the 90s when Cal State Northridge was an, was an independent, and then Dallas Baptist a couple of years ago. And now here you go, you have you might have two independents that get at-large bids this year. Has Bakersfield played its way onto the back onto the bubble? No, I don't think so. Their RPI is still in the 60s and. Uh, it, it's just, you know, it's not going to get there. I, I don't think you'll see them get in, but I, I do think it's, it's a great coaching job by Bill Kernan. I mean, they played a really tough schedule. They played everybody. Um, you know, give them a lot of credit for putting together the season that they have. Uh, they're on the periphery of the bubble discussion, but I think on the wrong side of the bubble. Getting swept by Riverside. That's the one that's gonna, they're going to look back at. And Riverside's a good team, solid program, well-coached. That's the one they're going to look back at and say, you know, if we swept that series or if we won that series – uh, that's a tough one, you know, going on the road and winning a game at South Carolina, uh, beating Arizona state, their resume has some, some good things on it, but I guess if you're measuring them up against, uh, Ole Miss, well, <laughs> Ole Miss won a series against South Carolina, yeah. uh, Cal State Bakersfield did not. So, uh, kudos to them. And as Dallas Baptist, are they soft on the bubble in right now? Yeah, they're, I think they're in, I mean, uh, it's, you know, again, it depends what happens with some of those conference tournaments, but uh, I, I like where they're at. I mean, it's, it's it's not a slam dunk. You're right. I think you put it well. They're soft on the bubble in, but I, I do think at the end of the day, I think they'll get in. 
It's the Baseball America podcast with John Manuel and Aaron Fitt. Aaron, at the back of the rankings, I had some struggles uh, bringing in some teams. Nobody wants to be in our top 25 this year because when you get into the back of the top 25, you lose. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the teams down there that are hot. Florida International remains hot. Troy winning the Sun Belt in the regular season, having a very nice year. You got UCLA back there. I think everybody knows their story. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Conference USA. East Carolina comes into the rankings at 25. They swept Tulane. Rice won a series at Southern Mississippi. Uh, move up to 16. The Golden Eagles have lost two straight series. They're down to 19. Let's talk about Rice and East Carolina. East Carolina feels like a team that is going to be a two seed, maybe a three seed, and is going to be plucky, but doesn't quite have enough. Rice, on the other hand, feels like a very, very dangerous team that's just figuring out uh, just how good it can be. I think you're right. You know, with Rice, anytime you're, you're building a, a team around two uh, freshmen in the weekend rotation, um, you know, it, it, very talented freshmen. I mean, we, we've talked all year about about Austin Kubica and, and John Sims, but, um, you know, they, they've had some injuries that they've had to overcome. I mean, Jeremy Rathjen was supposed to be one of their, their biggest bats in the middle of the lineup. They lost him for the year. Chase McDowell was a, a valuable two-way guy, but especially valuable on the mound. They lost him for the year. Um, you know, they, they've, they've taken some time to get their pitching sorted out. You know, Tony Singrani was a guy that they expected a big year from, got off to a bad start. He's really reemerged now, and he's, he's a, a force at the back of that bullpen. I mean, he's a big lefty throw in 94-96. Uh, boy, that's a nice piece to have back there. And, and, and I think the, the rotation is stabilized. Um, you know, I don't think it's a, it's a scary offense, but it's a solid offense. Uh, it's good enough, I think. I, yeah, I agree. I think they're, they're, they're going to host a regional, which makes them dangerous. Uh, and I think they're capable of making a run here. I agree. And then uh, does that sweep kind of knock Tulane? They, they were on the bubble out, but they're not even in consideration, I would think, anymore. What's, what's Conference USA's bid situation look like? Is it a four-bid league with the three teams we've talked about and UCF? That's it. You nailed it. Um, Tulane, I think, is done unless they win the conference tournament. Uh, they, they needed to, at the very least, win that East Carolina series, and they probably needed to sweep it to get their RPI where it needed to be. Um, but their, their, their chances are, are, are shot now. Uh, UCF has, has played very well down the stretch, and they're, I think, inside the top 20 in the RPI, and um, they've got a, a lot of quality wins. That's a team that uh, you know thought about ranking a little bit this weekend as well. I mean, they, they've they play well against some top 25 teams. They got a couple of wins midweek against Florida, I believe. Um, that that team uh, that team is, is is pretty good, and and they're certainly going to be in. I think they're safe. They're probably a two seed. Aaron, we have a, a little truncated podcast this week, so let's go ahead and get to some of the comments on our Facebook page. It's Facebook.com/slash/baseballamerica. Uh, we've got uh, almost 8,900 people who like the page, so join in, why don't you? Aaron, uh, Clint Scholes uh, wants to ask, which player should one look for if attending the Missouri Valley Tournament? Well, Missouri, Val- Missouri Valley Conference regular season champion, I believe, was Creighton, yeah. correct? That's right. Um, Creighton, not really a prospecting team for this year, but uh, Ty Block has a shot to be a pretty good draft next year, does he not? Yeah, he's a good pitcher. You know, he's a really advanced feel for pitching. Um, you know, pretty good stuff. I mean, he, he's a guy. I like, I mean, Trevor Adams has had a great season for Creighton. He's not an elite prospect, but he's a really good college player. He's, he's a guy that, that's going to jump out to you if you're at the Missouri Valley Conference because he's, he's really given them a presence in the middle of that lineup that they, they needed, you know. Um, 
Wichita State has the better prospects, certainly with Charlie Lowell, uh, a, a big you know left-hander who's probably going to go in the top what two rounds in the draft, I think. I think we think uh, he's got a shot to go up that high. That's for sure. And, you know, Brian Flynn's a big physical lefty. Charlie O'Brien, the catchers, had a wonderful year for, for Wichita State. Um, you know, so they've, they've got some, some pretty good players there. Um, you know, th- those, are, those are the guys that really jump out, I think, in that league. Some people really like Tyler Grimes, too, their, uh, their shortstop, although I know he hasn't really had a, a great offensive season this year. But he's a, his athleticism seems like it sticks out um, in that league anyway. Uh, for Wichita State, and I guess uh, that, that, there's a story there. I guess it's you know that uh, that league was tied again. Illinois State, Missouri State kind of made a run at the bubble, then uh, fell on its face at the end of the regular season. Uh, if somebody else, but you feel like if somebody else wins that tournament, Creighton will get in as an at-large team. I think they probably will. Okay. Uh, you know they're they're not a lock, but they're you know they're they're in, in decent shape in the RPI and I mean the thing that, that gives me pause is they haven't really played a lot of elite teams and they don't have a ton of qualifiers they're one and zero against the, the top 50 in the RPI okay uh, that that hurts them but they are 10 and five against the top 100 they're inside the top 40 um, they've got 39 wins overall I mean I, I think they'll probably will get in especially since it's a little bit of a soft bubble like we talked about Aaron how about this just came in the email uh, Brad Miller of Clemson named your ACC Player of the Year. I would not have predicted that at the beginning of the season. But what a year for Brad Miller. And Clemson, to me, also seems like a dangerous team in some ways, Aaron. I think their pitching is still a little uh, rickety. You know, Kevin Brady came back this week with three relief outings, three and four days if memory serves. Maybe it was three and five days. Um, Didn't look so hot on the third one. But if they can get Kevin Brady back into their rotation and get something as a starter for him out of – in the postseason, with Surratt, with Wiseman, uh, with some of the rest of their starting pitching that I'm blanking on, with Will Lamb as a kind of a setup guy if they need him, that Clemson team seems dangerous. And in the right matchup, well, if you don't have left-handed pitching, Clemson's going to hit you. They're going to hit against yeah. you. You're right. They've got they've got a dangerous lineup, a physical lineup, and um, you know I think they're the highest scoring team in the ACC, and it's a lot of veteran guys. And I thought that was the strength of that team coming into the year, uh, and it's it certainly has played out that way. The rotation has stabilized since they moved Dominic Leone to the Friday spot, and thank you, Dom Leone. He's the guy. Right, and they put Weissman at the back of the bullpen, which uh, has has certainly worked out. He's he's found a home home there and been much better in relief than he was as a starter. So. Um, it's, you're right. It's not a great pitching staff, but, uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's decent. You know, I mean, I think if they have, they have a healthy Brady, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. You know, I think he's the whole, he's the key to the whole deal. Healthy Kevin Brady. And I think, uh, Clemson's very dangerous, kind of like a rice team. Both teams were ranked fairly highly in the preseason, took their lumps early. And as a mark of their coaches, uh, and the jobs, their coaches and their coaching staffs do, they didn't panic. They didn't pack it up and pack it in. They just started working harder, and they grinded their way through the season. And, uh, and both those teams, I think, are pretty dangerous uh, come the postseason. Aaron, let's take a quick draft question before we log off. Clint Bolt, longtime reader of Baseball America and a longtime commenter, perhaps not on the scale of a Japers or a Joe Cates, but Clint Bolt deserves his own little mention in the wing of longtime BA fans. As about the mock draft, that's uh, that went up last Friday. Come on, Clint. Uh, projected number one pick, I believe we had Garrett Cole. Where do you see the Oklahoma boys going? That's where Clint's really from. He's a he's a Sooner. Uh, Bundy and Bradley. 
And he also asked about how teams view Archie Bradley's Oklahoma football scholarship. Now, Archie Bradley is not on an Oklahoma football scholarship. He actually just, the, the university sent on a press release within the last month announcing that he had signed to a baseball scholarship. So while Archie was a football recruit, I believe if he goes to Oklahoma, it will be to play baseball. Uh, I believe he could maybe still sign a two-sport contract. I don't think Archie Bradley is going to be a Sooner. I think he'll be a professional baseball player, and I think he's going to go out pretty good. It sounds, like, it sounds like if you pulled 30 clubs, maybe 17, 18 would have Archie Bradley as the number two high school righty, and 12 or 13 would have Taylor Guerrero, and I think it just depends on how they saw them. But uh, everybody's going to have Dylan Bundy, number one, Aaron. And before we got on this podcast, I think you and I both agreed that Dylan Bundy, if it weren't for the fact that he's a high school right-handed pitcher, you'd be pretty tempted to put him as the number one prospect in this draft. Yeah, I, I love the guy. You know, I mean, I, I think if you compare him with all the other top prospects, he's almost the one with the least question marks. And, and you know, you say that about a high school right-hander, and that that's the only question mark is the fact that he's a high school right-hander and those guys have never been number one. Uh, but uh, his stuff is electric. You know, people seem to like his mechanics. He's actually performed, you know, whereas, whereas Garrett Cole with his electric stuff has not performed nearly as well in college this year. Um, and Rendon, we know about the questions with him in the shoulder and the fact that his performance hasn't been great as a junior. Um, I mean, Bundy is, is, he's, he's really, really good. And, and I could see him going number two, uh, to the Mariners. I could see him going, you know, maybe a couple of picks behind that. It sounds like the, the Diamondbacks love Danny Holtz. And if he's there at three, you have to imagine they would take him, but who knows? I mean, I think Trevor Bauer could be in that mix as well. I, I think those are your top guys in some order. It sounds like it's, it's Rendon, Cole, Holtzen, Bauer, and, and, and Bundy. Is that your sense, John? That's that's my five. And I think uh, Fernando Francisco Lindor is in that mix as well. Um, I tell you that I think the Mariners, the sense that we've got is the Mariners are going position player, and that if Rendon is not there at two, they could go with maybe someone like Lindor, um, you know, or Bubba Starling even perhaps. I think the sense is they're going uh, position player, maybe not pitcher. Um, yeah. I definitely think the Pirates could go Cole or Rendon or Holton. I think, for me, Garrett Cole, even despite his inconsistent performance, is the guy to take there. I just think we need to ratchet down. Yeah, as I said all year, I don't think Garrett Cole belongs in the you know Strasburg, Pryor, Weaver, uh, Price discussion of elite, epic college baseball pitcher slash prospect. But he's pretty doggone good. But uh, Dylan Bundy, if he went, th- I think he'll go three to the Diamondbacks. Uh, Kevin Towers was at the Thursday, uh, the Friday night game that we all went to uh, here in Ch- uh, here in uh, North Carolina over in Chapel Hill uh, with Danny Holton. So like the whole Diamondbacks front office was here. Scouting director Ray Montgomery was there. I did not see Jerry Depoto, but I wouldn't know Jerry Depoto if he – no one who looked like Jerry Depoto was there. Put it that way. <laughs> um a lot of other heat in there for that game. A lot of people there to see, obviously, Levi Michael. And uh, Levi Michael had the big hit, RBI single that tied the game. Um, it's a crazy way to end the podcast, Aaron. Would I have been crazy if I thought that uh, Colin Moran should have been your ACC Player of the Year, even as a he's, freshman? He's, he's certainly, obviously, the freshman of the year, I, I would have to imagine. I think, uh, he's, I, I think he was the most impactful offensive player in the league, even including Brad Miller who had a great year, but had a great year of hitting singles. 
I agree. I, I think I think Colin Moran has a great a great case for ACC Player of the Year. I mean, it's uh, boy, that guy just gets big hit after big hit. He hits for power. He's anchored in the middle of that lineup. A, a really good team, uh, and he's been I think the biggest key. I really believe if you to pick one player in North Carolina, the reason that they're so good is Colin Moran. I, you're right. I mean, he, I probably would have voted for him for ACC Player of the Year. Yeah, I don't. I mean, uh, I, I think it's uh, you know you, you talk about how North Carolina overachieved in some ways this year or get was better than people thought they were. Well, the big reason is Colin Moran. That guy. I mean, hey, we thought he. You know, there was there were some area guys who liked him last year at a long uh, a Long Island, but that dude is. Uh, we talk. <laughs> we have talked a lot, Aaron, over the years about why the ACC does not win in Omaha. Players like Colin Moran are guys who win in Omaha. Guys who wear their first couple of at-bats against uh, Danny Hudson going over two with two strikeouts and then ground out to second and leaving a bunch of runners on base in that third at-bat and don't get down about it. He's a tough bitch, is that guy. So uh, he's he's impressive. And I, you know, I stand corrected. Brad Miller's OPS is actually higher than Colin Moran's. But, uh, I'll give, and Brad Miller does play in the middle of the diamond. Brad Miller's certainly not a bad choice as ACC Player of the Year, but Colin Moran is uh, – that's an unbelievable year. I'm blown away by how good, how tough, and how um, resilient, really, Colin Moran is. He also made a really nice play on the last play of that game on Friday. Uh, you know, very fundamental play. He got his chest in front of it, wore it, picked up that ball through the first. Uh, that was a good game. It was a really good college baseball game, and we're going to see a lot more this week, tournament time. Uh, Aaron's going to SEC tournament. We'll be at the ACC tournament. Aaron's got a plane to catch. I'll let you go, Aaron. Great podcast. Thank you again for the time, and uh, we'll talk to you later this week. Always fun, John. All right, Fitzy. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.